0: Well, good morning everybody. It's good to see you as always. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and then I'll get started on the teaching. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another day with your people where we can gather together and we can pray with one another and bear one another's burdens. I thank you for this class and for the opportunity we have over the years to get to know one another and lord we do pray for our brother and sister carl and larue lord they are in a difficult time out west they need a resolution carl can't be cared for by his family anymore lord i just pray that you give them wisdom help them to be able to get back to florida if that's your will that larue would have the support here that she needs But I pray that you would provide the right place for Carl if it involves transportation then you would work out the logistics of that. I know they've had so many challenges and trials of just getting appointments to see healthcare providers. I pray that you would work out every detail so that Carl and LaRue could get to the place where Carl receives the help he needs. LaRue can get what she needs to recover herself and her Her family can have a break after they've done such hard work to care for them this whole time. And Lord, as we begin to open up 2 Peter, I pray that you would help us to understand your words, give us ears to hear, and Lord, help us even now begin to see how the truths of this book will apply to our lives in the weeks and months ahead. So Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen we will turn our attention to Second Peter. And I'm, as I did last week, I gave a little bit of an introduction, but today we start in earnest, verse by verse, going through the book. And I'm very excited to study this. And in my beginning study of these first few verses, which will actually take a, at least two, possibly three messages to go through, I was... A little bit taken aback, not because it 's dealing with something i didn 't realize, but I sort of missed an undercurrent that 's even bigger than I realized. If I were to show you and I actually brought them and then I left them in my truck when i 'm studying a text like this, before I ever look at a commentary, the experts that explain greek words and the and the grammar and all of that, I spend a lot of time just reading and rereading the text. So I print out on a separate document, generally with multiple spaces between the lines. I print out the text and then I just go through with a pencil and I write myself questions. Doesn't matter how many times I've looked at the text. It doesn't matter if I've studied it before. I just go through and I make notes to myself. And the notes are things that I use to prod me to think. I see trends, I see things. And as I was doing that this week, and I normally start that after the introduction, when I get to verse by verse, I really was surprised. Now, after this time, I shouldn't be surprised by the Word of God, and yet I was. And why do I say that? Because when I was beginning to study these verses, my initial thought is, well, let's get past these first couple of verses and then jump into the meat of what's going on. Verse 3 has got some important things, verse 4, and on and on. And yet as I was going through it with my pencil, I kept seeing the same thing over and over again. And it's throughout the Bible, but for some reason it wasn't hitting me just in my cursory readings of this. It's going to come up in my notes of how I outline it, but really it's the emphasis on the work of God that impermeates this book. Now again... The entire Bible is about the work of God, but follow along with me. I'm just going to read through the first four verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. What I was seeing and what was jumping out at me was how not just central Jesus is, but how the work of God and the Word of God was permeating everything. In terms of the people being identified to those who have received of faith, and I'll talk about that. But even the prayer of verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It was His divine power, the true knowledge of Him, His own glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. And so while last week, as I glanced through these verses, I was thinking of Simon Peter and where do these people live, I realized I was not even seeing what was clearly right in front of me. Was how powerfully the foundation is laid for the entire book in these few verses. They're not just a greeting They are a treasure trove of theological knowledge condensed into a few words that really set the stage for everything in the book. So on the one hand, as I began to study, I was thankful that what I thought was the focus of the book is the focus of the book. But I realized I undersold some aspects of what God is doing in this book. Because as I was looking through it, and this is an important focus, and as I teach through it, I'm going to come back to this over and over. As I was looking through it, I kept thinking about me. What God's given me. Okay, so I can do this, and therefore the implication is I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And we're going to talk about all those things, and it's all true. But what jumped out to me today is this isn't about me at all. It's about God. Now, He loves us and cares for us, and certainly it has application to us. But I realized I went into it with a mirror in front of my own face, seeing what I could see about me in the book, when in reality, what's on display isn't me at all, but it's God and His work and His Word. And so it's humbling on my part to realize I was walking into it, I think, with a little bit of a wrong attitude, trying to figure out how do I apply this, and that's important, but missing had the Lord not tapped me on the shoulder, and He didn't literally tap me on the shoulder, and seen how God is on display. So as I've reflected on these first four verses and as I begin to dissect them and as I've started studying them, I really do believe this is the foundation for everything that follows. Peter with these verses encapsulates all the truth that he's going to expound that we will apply, that will have implications for how we live, that will impact how we fight off the false teachers that are permeating our world just like they were 2,000 years ago. But more than that, I think we're going to see God and His glory. Jesus and how wonderful He is. And I hope we'll see more about Jesus than even we see about ourselves. So I think these first four verses lay the foundation for the entire letter. And so my outline that I'll begin introducing the material is very simple, the title of the message is very simple, The Foundation of 2 Peter. The Foundation of 2 Peter. And we're going to see three things, and I've already said over and over, it's going to take multiple weeks, because of the depth of what I believe is here. But the first, we're going to see the messenger of God. That's one foundation. second foundation is the work of God. And the third foundation is the Word of God. So we're going to begin today talking about the messenger of God, and we'll introduce a little bit about the work of God. So on the messenger of God, this will probably be my shortest point of all of these things. But it's focused on Peter, the author of this letter. And I talked a little bit about Peter last week in the introduction. And I said from my perspective, I believe he wrote the letter. I believe that's what the letter says. I believe the evidence supports that. But it all comes down to the first words of the book. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a few distinguishing aspects of this opening greeting, one of which is just the very name used. Now, it looks like it, or it is Simon Peter in English, but in the original manuscripts, there's a form of Simon, which is Simeon. It's a Hebrew expression translated to Greek, and it's unique. It's not used very often of Peter but it points to his humble origins. But by combining the two, and it's not unprecedented, but it just reminds us of who Peter was and who he is. It's always interesting. We see someone like Simon Peter, and we say Simon Peter, but I wonder what it was like for him, because most of his life he wasn't named Peter. He was an adult when he got that name. But Simeon was what he grew up with. In John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42, we see the account of when Simon Peter met Jesus. And it was through his brother, Andrew. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You were Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now Peter, by referring to himself in this way, may very well just be reflecting on his life and what happened and how he ever got that name of who he was and who he is before he knew Jesus and after he met Jesus. But it's all summed up. And the people who would have received this would recognize the name, even though those were common names, they would understand there's only one Simon Peter at this time. And he refers to himself in two terms. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And those two terms couldn't be... There couldn't be a bigger contrast, particularly in the culture and the context of the time. A bondservant, and we read that word and it doesn't sound that bad... But the reality is, it's just the word for a slave. A doulas, And a slave wasn't just a hired hand. We say bond servant and we think of somebody that was either hired or they owe money to, to get their freedom. But no, this is a slave, pure and simple. There's no freedom. There's no opportunity. They were property. They didn't have rights. This wasn't an employment contract. Being a slave in Roman society meant you were just a piece of property and your owner could do with you whatever he wanted. Period. The slave had no rights. The slave didn't get to decide his own fate. The slave didn't decide anything for himself. He did what his master told him to do. Period. Period. A slave... Jumped when the master said jump. And it's interesting because Peter didn't hesitate to identify himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Whereas this would have been a demeaning a derogatory term for any Roman citizen to have become a slave, Peter had no problem identifying himself because he understood he no longer was his own. He was a slave of Jesus Christ. He was purchased by Jesus. He also had no freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. He belonged to his master, and his master, Jesus, set the standards and tone of his life. Critical because it makes it clear this letter is not coming about because Peter decided, you know what, the world needs to look a little bit more like me. I've got my own ideas about how things should be run, so let me write you a letter and I'll tell you all my best ideas. He's starting up front saying, look, I'm not here on my own. I have a master who I serve And I'm here doing my Master's business. He's going to say with the word Apostle that He was sent by the Master, but for now, just focusing on these words, there's a humility and a sincerity that makes it clear this isn't just Him doing what He wants to do. He's doing the will of the One who purchased Him, who redeemed Him, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, the price of the slave was mentioned. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Peter understood that he was bought with the blood of Jesus and he no longer had an independent existence. Paul alluded to the similar principle in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, where Paul said, "...or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body." So Peter, as it were, even though we gloss over a word like bondservant, or at least I can, because I'm familiar with it and I see it, he's communicating something very important, even with this simple title. He is a slave of Jesus. He's not a free agent, setting out his own path. He is doing the will of his master. And it's not a position of weakness, or shame or embarrassment. In fact, he speaks with power and authority even as a slave because of the master, the one who sent him, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. In its most simple term, an apostle was just one who was sent. But of course, in this context, being an apostle of Jesus Christ has much deeper meaning. It speaks of that select group of men who were unique eyewitnesses of the Lord who met Jesus and were called by Jesus in essence to found the church. Luke 6 verse 13 alludes to this when it originally occurred. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles. And the first person listed, Simon, verse 14, whom he also named Peter. Again, this was not just a casual thing. Jesus handpicked these men, and even after Judas was exposed for what he was, and he committed suicide, we see something of what went into it when the apostles gathered to select a replacement for Judas. In Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, just a snippet, Therefore it is necessary that of the, of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that He was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of His resurrection. In other words, this foundational group were those who had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and they had seen Him ministering throughout His earthly life even to the point of seeing Him ascend into heaven. So when... Peter describes himself as an apostle, it was a powerful reference. Now the only person that might fit outside of that specific way of knowing Jesus that became an apostle is the apostle Paul. But Paul did interact with Jesus just in a different context. Jesus came and met him on the road to Damascus. But it's interesting because Paul introduced the book of Romans almost in the same way that Peter does. Combining that idea of slave, but also of a sent one. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So the point is this, even though Peter humbly identifies himself as a slave, he's making it clear in that designation, look, I'm here on the part of my master. But he also is a sent one, chosen specifically by Jesus, Set apart for the gospel of God. So when he speaks, he speaks with authority. Again, what's so critical is that Peter was not just about expanding his own empire and influence, he wasn't out trying to make other men apostles of Peter, disciples of Peter. He made it clear, I am a slave of Jesus and I'm sent by Jesus to proclaim to you what is coming. He's humble and yet he's very serious. These aren't just his musings and ideas. These are the very words of God that he was called and sent to speak. So the first aspect... First foundation of 2nd Peter is the messenger of God, the humble and yet authoritative man Simeon Peter. But the second part of the foundation of 2nd Peter is this, the work of God. The work of God, and this is going to take some time. This is where I started getting bogged down in my study because I realized the words were jumping off the page at me of how this was about God. And as I studied and started thinking and digging a little bit deeper, it just kept jumping out at me more and more and more. And it began just with this simple phrase in the second part of verse 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, again, I alluded last week in the introduction that in all likelihood, this is the same group of churches, therefore, the same group of believers that received 1 Peter. In 2 Peter 3 1, Peter says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I agree with those scholars who would say this, the first letter was 1 Peter and the second letter is 2 Peter. And as we talked last week, the believers to whom this was originally sent were primarily located in areas that we would equate with modern day Turkey. But the geography is not the issue with these believers. It's what God has done in their lives. He says, to those who have received. Now again, when I first read this as I was going through it, before I started studying it, I thought, well, this describes all believers, just kind of glossed over it. And of course, it does describe all believers. That's true. But as I read and reread it, I realized this is all about God's work, what God has done. And I'm having to bite my tongue to keep from jumping ahead to something that I want to say, but it wouldn't be appropriate here it really ties into why I had a passion to study the book, and I alluded to it last week, and that passion and that focus was correct, but I missed a big part of it because I was looking at me, not God. So again, I was reading, saying to myself, who is this to? The reality of it is I almost miss what does it mean? To those who have received. In other words... This is a passive reference in terms of the people themselves. They received it from somebody. And clearly, when you read the context, they received it from God. They received a faith of the same kind as ours, but they didn't get it. They didn't go find it. It was given to them by God. And again, when you think there's all these warnings about false teachers and everything else, Peter is really just digging down to the core of who we are in Christ and why we are who we are in Christ. And it's not because of us. They had received faith, just like you and I have received faith. But they received it they didn't earn it, they didn't find it. They didn't figure out a way to obtain it. It was given to them. Again, I struggle to fully address all the significant ways this impacts our thinking about salvation and the gospel. Certainly God uses a process to bring people to Himself. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And Paul talks about how will they hear unless there's a preacher. So we understand faith comes from hearing. We have to hear it. The Word of Christ has to be preached. It's got to be shared with us. We've got to be presented with the reality of the Gospel. But even then, we didn't get it because we figured it out. We don't believe because we're smarter than all the other Americans around us that are shaking their fist at God every day. We believe because God worked in us to enable us to receive the gift that He planned before the foundation of the world for us. Even the initiative, the initial step, was not us looking at how attractive God was and stepping towards Him. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And because God loved us, He's the one that called us to Himself. We'll talk about calling later. But He drew us to Himself. John 6.44 No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. With this simple phrase, of those, to those who have received, he's really summing up what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. To those who have received a faith before he even gets into the application, before the warnings about false teachers, before the reminders and the stirring up, it's just identifying them as those whom God has given a tremendous gift. He goes on, he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And there's comfort even wrapped up in this. We've been given a gift from God. And Peter is trying to encourage them as to the nature of that gift. It is faith. He says, it's of the same kind as ours. And some look at this and look at Peter and say, well, he's probably writing to some people who are Gentiles and he's just telling them the Gentile faith is the same as the Jewish faith. Galatians 3.28 type of thing. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. But I don't think that's really what Peter is doing here. Because there were Jews and Gentiles in those churches. This wasn't a letter written only to Gentiles. It was written to a blended church that would have likely had Jewish believers and Gentile believers. I think what... Peter is doing is encouraging the hearers for the road ahead. He's going to call them to stand firm in the truth. He's going to tell them they have all the tools they need to stand in the truth. But I think he's making it clear to them that even though he's an apostle, he doesn't have something that they don't have. Again, being an apostle was a big deal. People knew who the apostles were. They were towering giants. Acts 2.42 They were continually talking about the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, the apostles were front and center of the early church. They were speaking, everybody was looking. And their teaching clearly was equal to Scripture. Later in this book, in 2 Peter chapter 3, I read verse 1, but I'll read verses 1 and 2. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. In other words, God was using them to write Scripture, to speak Scripture. When they spoke, they were speaking the commandment of the Lord. And Peter is telling them, I'm an apostle and I'm speaking to you, but God gave you the same thing He gave me. Your faith is not a lesser faith. Just because I'm an apostle. I have a different role than you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to say all these things to you. But understand this what God gave you is every bit as precious as what God gave me. The work He did in us as apostles, He did in you. The salvation that we have, that we preach to others, you have that too the security in Christ, the security in the promises of God that we have as apostles, you receive the exact same faith. We may have different roles in the body of Christ, but everything that we have as apostles, you have. We have Jesus, you have Jesus. Jesus. At the cross, again, not minimizing distinction, God has given the church its leadership, its leadership structure. Yet the reality is God doesn't have different levels of faith. The faith that He gifts to Pastor Steve is the faith that He gifted to the lowliest, most humble servant at Lakeside. At the cross, all believers are equal. We're equally loved by God. We're equally forgiven by God. We're equally given His Spirit to dwell in us. We're equally given His Word to sustain us. Years ago, at Lakeside, I still remember it very clearly, there was a gentleman. He was... Probably older than me, but he was one of those individuals that had lived a hard life. So he might have been my age, or he might have been 112. It's hard to tell. But I remember him coming up to me, and he was asking me to pray. Okay, well, I I will always pray for somebody. But he wanted me to pray because he thought God would listen to me, and he wouldn't listen to him. And I tried to explain to him, but in his mind, I was a pastor. Pastor. As though in his mind, I had some special access to God. And I realized pretty quickly, I didn't need to rebuke or correct him. I told him he could do the same thing that he was asking me to do, but then I prayed for him, and I kept praying for him. But I think his simple but wrong view, if we're not careful, can permeate our mind. Well, John MacArthur's got a different... Faith than I do, or Steve Kreloff. Well, he's been doing this a long time. He's got a different faith, or, or, and pick a name. Understand this: you and I have received a faith of the same kind as any other saint in the kingdom. So we're going to come back to this. I'm out of time for the day. I'm excited for this study given how long it's taken me to get through verse 1, I'm guessing we'll be in this for the next six or seven years, but um, maybe I'll go faster once we get past this next few weeks. But let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am amazed and overwhelmed at the gift You've given me in my salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, in my limitations, I pray that people have heard from your word, and begin to think on how precious the faith you've given them. Lord, our lives have ups and downs. At times we feel strong. At times we feel terribly weak. At times we feel like your favor is smiling down upon us. At other times, Lord, we feel like you're hidden behind a cloud and we wonder if you ever see us. Lord, I thank you that you've given us all the same faith. It's because of Jesus, because of His righteousness, because of His death on behalf of sinners like us. But Lord, thank You for Your gift. I pray as we study over the next weeks and months the words of Your slave and Your apostle Peter. pray that You will help us apply the truth. But Lord pray more than that, that you'll help us see you clearly for who you are. Certainly we will want to obey your words, the warnings and the admonitions and the cautions, but Lord, I pray that your glory and majesty will shine through the pages of Scripture so that we will truly respond in love and adoration to the God who saves sinners like us. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.